truffles in honey, truffles on eggs, and the dogs that find the truffles. This week, it's all about truffles from Australia. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we explore a different destination's best food and drink, plus fun things to do there. And it's the middle of a hot, hot summer in North America. But down in Australia, they're in the middle of winter. And winter in Australia is truffle season. So we're going to be talking to a real truffle farmer, Gavin Booth, from Southwest Australia. Some longtime listeners might know that I have what you might call an obsession with truffles. I've talked truffles on the podcast many times and even centered my novel from 2015 on truffles. It's a murder mystery called Truffle Hunt, and I've included a link for the book in the show notes, which you can get at radiomisfits.com. My guest Gavin talks about Australian truffles and his truffle farm, but he also talks about Hungarian truffles, truffles from Italy and France and Croatia, and even truffles from the United States. We talk about the different kinds of uh, ways to harvest truffles and truffle hunting dogs and why different kinds of truffles pair better with different foods. Basically, it's just me geeking out on one of my favorite topics of all time. And Gavin is the perfect guy to indulge my truffle geekiness. But first, if you're new to Destination Eat Drink, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that at your favorite podcast big box store, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or RadioMisfits.com. Destination Eat Drink. Gavin, before we really get started on this, I think we should define our terms because a lot of folks, when they think about truffles, they think about the little chocolates that you give to your wife or your girlfriend on Valentine's Day, but that's not what we're talking about in this case. So tell us exactly what is a truffle. A truffle is a subterranean fungus that grows on the roots of several types of northern hemisphere trees, traditionally grew in northern hemisphere trees. It's the fruiting body of a fungus. Um, so it's the reproductive cycle, you know, as in an apple is the reproductive cycle of an apple tree. So truffle is the reproductive cycle of this subterranean fungus. You're in Western Australia, which has become known for truffles. And I don't think that truffles are necessarily associated with Australia. They, they have been in the last few years, but most people think Italy and France when they think of truffles. What makes this region in Western Australia so fantastic for growing truffles? The honest answer is stuff divine, um, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's a bit of a mystery uh, and I suspect it's several different factors, and, and those influencing factors probably include uh, our rainfall comes from Antarctica. There's no factories. There's no anything that gets in the way of the rain from you know from when it leaves there and gets to me being in the southwest corner of Western Australia. So maybe it's that clean green. Uh, is it the fact that we've got these ancient soils? You know, it's probably a certain 
irony in the northern hemisphere but actually australia is one of the kind of older soils in the world so we have these massive trees the, the region that i live in is commonly referred to as the southern forests so we have i think like the third largest tree in the world that grows here we have tree species that are on the planet when dinosaurs roamed the globe you know so we've got tens of thousands of years literally 40 50,000 years worth of of um, humus that's built up on the soil so we have beautiful water beautiful soil and then of course the fact is is that you know we're a little bit further north from where the european sort of you know if you think of the north and south hemisphere so we're on a line of latitude that seems to lend itself in the southern hemisphere very well to truffle production and finally so that sort of lends us into that final point which is the climate and that climate is a true mediterranean climate so here in the southwest of western australia we have uh, cold winters so we have the log fire going we have woolly jumpers on at this time of year uh, probably you know 12 to 20 frosts and maybe i think on average once every 13 years we get snow so you know it's not that cold but in summertime, we can get up to 40 degrees centigrade and get really good hot summers. And it's dry in the summertime, which is something that the truffle really seems to enjoy. Now, you mentioned that you're in the middle of your winter in the Southern Hemisphere, and winter is truffle gathering season. How has the season been this year? You know, truffle production can be great one year, not so great the next year. How's it been this year in 2020? Ironically, uh, with the COVID-19 thing going on, it's probably been the best in history. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's been really good, not just in terms of volumes, which, uh, you know, pretty much I think most people are up in terms of volume, but the quality has been really good, like astronomically good. We've had a really long green start to winter. So by that, I mean... We had late summer rainfall, the grass germinated, and so we've had uh, a really good sort of cool autumn and coming into into the winter period. So everything's just sort of lent itself towards a fantastic truffle season. Folks who, uh, folks who gather truffles, they can go out into the woods to get the truffles, or they can create their own truffle farm where they have their own trees and they grow, uh, you know, they inoculate the trees with the spores and they grow their own truffles. How do you go about your truffle farming? Do you go out into the woods or do you have your own trees that you, that you work? Truffles, uh, the species that we grow, which is tuber melanosporum, otherwise known as the winter black truffle or French black truffle, Perigord truffle, is a bunch of different names for the, the same species. Uh, we grow that in cultivated groves, which is actually the way that 90% of the world's black truffle comes from, is from cultivated groves since uh, a guy in the south of France uh, near the Luberon Valley called uh, Joseph Talon in around the 1830s to 1850s, he pioneered the technique. So so even if you go to Piedmonte, if you go to uh, Istria, if you go to Provence, that technique that we're using has been pretty much used there for their native or wild forests, if you will, and also for the groves since about their 1830s. Truffle hunters have this 
extremely close bond with their dogs. They train the dogs. They take them out. The dogs find the truffles. And so you work together in a very close relationship. So, Gavin, tell me about your dogs. (laughs) People love talking about their dogs. Truffle hunters really love talking about their dogs. So tell me about your dogs and, uh, you know, describe how they work and how you train them. So we have Labradors ourselves. So in in our family, we really love our Labrador Retrievers. I think they're also Australia's most popular dogs. So when we first started, the first few dogs that we got and trained up were all came from the pound. So we'd go around the pound with a tennis ball, bouncing the ball, and the dog <laughs> that looked quite fanatical about it all were you know, they were the ones that would get, you know, get our interest. Um, the two newest dogs that we've got, so we've got three dogs in our little menagerie at the moment. Um, Molly is our senior dog, and she actually came from the the RSPCA, which is a, 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 a not humanitarian. I'm trying to think of the right phrase now. Like a rescue dog? Yeah. So uh, she's from a rescue dog. Uh, from Sydney in on the east coast of Australia, and uh, she uh, she was a rescue dog. We got her through the police. Actually, the police looked at her first and thought she was a wonderful little dog, but probably not uh, quite up to their standards. So we've got her now, and she's we've had her for what four or five years, and she's just an absolute um, she's an absolute gem. We also have two pups, so we've got Gigi, and Gigi is Noongar, which is the the Aboriginal tribe from the southwest of Western Australia, the region that I'm living in. And uh, the Noongar word Gigi means spear, and mm. she is an absolute spear. She just <laughs> head first, straight through. Uh, chasing anything. If the chickens get in the way, she'll grab them. She's just an absolute menace to everything. <laughs> and then we've got Max, and Max is the complete opposite. So uh, Max is one year old, just turned one, and he is your laconic, laid back dog. I don't know. Um, I don't. Uh, <laughs> To put it into an American analogy, Gigi is probably what New York Max is to California. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just that, uh, yeah. If Max was to wear a scent, it would probably be patchouli oil and <laughs> Gigi, yeah. So so they're, they're two very, very different dogs, but they absolutely and, – and I think, to be honest, the whole thing about your favorite breed of dog or the type of dogs that you use – there's a lot of rubbish and you know people talk about legatos people talk about you should go down the pound and you should do this that and the other um for me it's about the relationship it's just about that that bond that you have with that dog and if you and the dog get on well you'll have a successful time of it if you and the dog clash on any level then you know as in the rest of life, you know, you go into a new office, you work in a new workplace, and if you clash with someone, it's going to make for a miserable life. If you get on with people, it makes for a joyful workplace. So uh, much the same here. So you've got these three dogs. You have to train them. I mean, dogs don't just naturally know how to uh, go and get the truffle to dig it up. Describe the training process. How do you go about that? How long does it take? We use a technique. There's, look, there's hundreds of different ways to 
you know, train the dog. Uh, there's lots of different theories and, and ways. But I suppose the way that we prefer to use is a technique called positive reinforcement. And, and that simply is, you know, it's actually a very similar way to the way they suggest we train our children. And that is, is that for, for every negative that you might give the dog, which is in our case, negative is just being ignored. So if a dog does something that exhibits a behavior that we don't particularly enjoy, we'll just ignore that behavior. And what we do in return is we'll make sure that we praise in a very positive manner five times a a good behavior. Mm. So to give you an example, if I've got a dog that um, likes to chase chickens, (laughs) uh, when it tastes a chicken, I'll just put the leash on the dog put it on a short leash, take it away and, and put it in the kennel or put it in the, you know a, an enclosed area and just ignore the dog and walk away. No words. There's no nastiness. There's no rancor or malice about it. It's just purely like I, I didn't enjoy that experience. Right. But then afterwards, when you take the dog out, you get the ball, you chase the ball, you show the dog what good looks like. You don't, so you're rewarding the good behavior and you just completely ignore the negative. So what we do with truffles is we, um, we get a toy that the dogs really enjoy, particularly at a young age. And uh, it might have a little squeaker in it or it may be a bit of terry toweling. It can be, you know, a bunch of different things. But the other side, so what we do then is, is we put that toy in something that smells of truffle and then we, we play. We just play with the dog and the dog associates the smell of truffle with with a good, fun, reward time. And it's that simple, really, to get that basic scent association. How long does it take from starting that scent association to the time when um, Max or Gigi or Molly can go out and actually start digging up truffles for you? The initial sort of scent association can be done in a few weeks. It's about repetitive behavior. It's not about um, particularly a long time. But the final relationship, that working relationship, you're going to work on that relationship for probably three years. So to understand just how skillful that dog's going to be and how much trust you can put in her or him is about a three-year process. Gavin, your company is called Australian Truffle Traders. And like you said, you're having a bumper crop this year. You sell to a lot of high-end restaurants in Australia. Tell me about some of your customers. What are the types of restaurants? And, you know, tell us how they use your truffles. We have uh, restaurants that we supply across the globe, uh, out of Western Australia. Typically, you're looking at your sort of one to three Michelin-starred restaurants. Uh, but also a lot of home users, and it's really fun. What I love is when you start hearing um, about, you know, some of the breakfast sort of hotels and the like using truffles on in the eggs and putting it up for a, a beautiful brekkie. And I don't know, it, it, I've got a question for you, actually. In, in where you're from, do people get much into having brunch? On uh, Sundays, Brunch is a huge day for us. So going out, having a mimosa, having some eggs, and it would be really fancy if we went out and we got some truffles shaved on top of our omelet for uh, Sunday brunch. That's a real sort of cultural thing over here. So 
it's bizarre that we have these most amazing three Michelin starred restaurants that do the most amazing dishes, you know, whether it's in the opera house in Sydney or, or in London, in New York, in, in San Francisco. Um, we have some of the most amazing restaurants, but when, what I really love uh, is when you go somewhere on, uh, for a walk along the beach and you find a little breakfast place and they do the most amazing brunch and they have truffled eggs, you know, great big sort of apothecary jar full of eggs with the truffle sat on top, just infusing those eggs. And the chef comes along and cracks you three egg omelette or does whatever. That's what I love. Cause I don't know. It, it's truffles are very special and they deserve to have a special place, I believe. But I really do enjoy seeing it being in, you know, appreciated in the most simple of ways. Truffles are really a gourmet item. They're a high-end item. But I think what you say is really important, Gavin, because the thing is preparing truffles simply is the most important thing. If you get too fancy, um, and I'm not saying any Michelin star restaurants do this, but if you try to get too fancy... You can lose the essence and the beauty of the truffle. The beauty of the truffle is having it shaved on some fresh, warm pasta noodles with some butter, having it shaved on a little bit of uh, eggs, like you say. Eggs is a perfect uh, medium for enjoying truffles. And you don't want to necessarily cook the truffles. Having them fresh shaved, I think, simply is always the best way to go. I think as well, it's uh, it's a bit like using uh, basil, or should I say basil? <laughs> uh, the, the, the idea that you can get a fresh basil leaf and crush it up and put it on top of some pasta and just have this most wonderful, heady, aromatic flavor and, and aroma that comes through, it truffles a lot like that. So you can just grate or microplane or fin, uh, shave fresh truffles straight on top of a pasta. But also there's another element to basil, and that is you can use it in a ragu or in a pasta sauce, and you don't expect to actually taste the, the, the basil itself. It just adds a layer to the overall flavor. And some of these guys, when they use truffle, they'll use the truffle to get that. Nat- you know, truffle has a massive na- natural flavor enhancer. In fact, truffle is one of the highest concentrations of glumaic acid. And the synthetic version of glumaic acid, the artificial version of that is MSG, which is obviously quite a famous sort of ingredient. So, so I mean, they're two totally different things. One's synthetic, the other one's completely natural. But, but at the end of the day, that effect it has on the brain, that awakening of your taste buds, uh, the idea that it makes our brain taste things more efficiently and better is one of the secrets behind behind the truffle and of course in japan in japanese food culture they call that umami in french culture it's the sort of the idea of that real rich heavy rich sauce so when you eat it you feel satisfied but you actually don't need much One of the things that we encountered on our first trip to Croatia, you mentioned Istria earlier, was truffles infused in honey. And I had never thought of that prior to visiting Croatia, but it was fantastic having honey infused with truffles. Is that something that's popular in Australia? Absolutely. I think uh, 
truffle honey is is delicious. The truffle that we do, the the, the black truffle melanosporum, I think works really well. The the magnatum, what they call the Italian white truffle, when you had it, was that the white truffle that was in the honey or the black? Yeah, Istria is famous for having the uh, white truffles. This particular place we were at, I think, is ten years ago now. I think the first time we had it was with black truffle. I think it's I think it's really important that uh, we have this conversation around truffle, and I don't know if it's the same for you uh, in your local store, but here in Western Australia, over the last decade, you know, ten years ago, if I walked into the local supermarket, uh, if I wanted to buy a mushroom, I had a choice of one, maybe two. You know, it was like a right. champignon, a button mushroom, or a field mushroom, maybe, or a Swiss brown or something. You know, that was pretty much the entire extent of the fungus range. Today, I walk into my local supermarket. And I can buy on some days up to 14 different types of mushrooms. Right, right. You know, I can buy a, a fresh shiitake, I can buy an oyster, I can buy anokis, I can buy field mushrooms, Swiss browns, button mushrooms. You know, the list goes on. And with truffle, I think that's a conversation we need to have with our understanding and our depth of understanding of food because there are a lot of different types of truffles and they all have very different properties and lend themselves to quite different things. So when you're in Istria, having the white truffle and the black truffle that we grow lends itself fantastically well with honey. If I was in Oregon, I would want the Oregon black truffle because it tastes of honey in itself. There's a Hungarian honey truffle as well, which is, uh, you know, from Hungary, obviously. Um, and so some of the truffles that we see around the world, you know, there's 74 different species of truffles, and they lend themselves to different applications and different flavor pairings quite considerably. And if I was in North America, I, I, I will tell you right now the best pizza I've ever had in my life was with a, a tuba organese, so the Oregon white truffle on top of a basic, very, very bland garlic sort of pizza bread. And the Oregon truffle just shaved straight on top. Uh, so there's a white and black Oregon truffle. Um, it, it's just absolutely delicious. Absolutely delicious. And if you enjoyed the truffles in Istria, you will love the truffles in Oregon. You know, you talk about the different species and the different places where truffles are available. Oregon is becoming the hot spot in the United States. There's also areas in the Appalachians where they grow truffles. But one kind of truffle that I've never had, and this just popped into my head while I was talking to you, Gavin, is the the desert truffle or the Middle Eastern truffle. And whenever they're in season, I always see them on Facebook and posted other places but I've never had them before, and I see that they're very inexpensive compared to regular truffles, but I've never had them. Have you ever had one of these desert Middle Eastern truffles? What are they like? I have no clue. I have, I have to be honest. I have not had one either. Um, I need to go. It's on the bucket list. It's something I need to do. Uh, the other place to go for a new truffle culture is China as well. China has described something like 200 species of truffles in the last uh, 10 years. 
and they're starting to learn how to appreciate those truffles. Much like in Oregon, there's a lot of guys that go out with rakes and just rake up the truffle and then try and find the good ones. Um, in Oregon, there's a real big movement now for guys to get a dog and train the dog and go out there and find the truffle when it's when it's ready to be found rather than just you know digging them up. And so China's still got a long way to go in that regard. But but it's quite exciting, you know. There's these 74 different species of truffles, be they out of the desert. And that's a that's another thing as well. From my understanding, there's probably some science to be done around the desert truffle because I don't think the desert truffle from Iraq would be the same as the desert truffle from Tunisia. It's most likely going to be quite quite different so it would be fantastic to to go and experience that and and that's something that i would love to do you bring up an interesting point gavin about the raking of truffles and when we talk about raking of truffles it is literally people going out into the forest with these big rakes and they rake around the tree roots and the big problem with this is that you are bringing up both unripe and ripe truffles at the same time a dog if they're trained properly, will only dig up a ripe truffle. So you have an unripe truffle. Think of it as like um, the difference between a fully ripe tomato and a green tomato. You know, there's a world of difference between the two. And this is what's given China such a bad name for their truffle industry because they were almost exclusively for years uh, harvested by raking. And so the quality of the truffles were poor. So what you're saying, I think, is that they are uh, in China. They're becoming uh, more sophisticated about how to harvest truffles, and therefore the quality of the truffles will inevitably increase. Absolutely, and I think um, it would be a lot of fun to go there and have a look at that. And when the guys sort of pick up on some of the skills, unfortunately, there is a bit of human greed that comes into these things. Right, so right. the idea of just being able to pop out on a beautiful afternoon and grab them all and come back home is, you know, it's a bit of a non-sophisticated way of doing it. But I think I think that is changing and will change more and more as time goes on. I mean, you know, if you go to Europe, there's some pretty, some pretty strict rules in Spain, France, Italy uh, around when um how you can go on to land and, and harvest those truffles. Even if you have a private truffle orchard, you're not allowed to harvest truffles. There's a season in which you're allowed to do it, much like going out and shooting in North America. You know, they they have a truffle season for different species of truffles. And if you're found to be targeting that species outside of those seasons, you know, you can you can end up in cuffs. So it's uh, yeah. So I think yeah. Again, there's so much more. It's, you know, we've only just scratched the tip of the iceberg on what is probably a very very large topic. You mentioned that you uh, not only sell your truffles, Gavin, at Australian truffle traders to Michelin-starred high-end restaurants, but also just regular folks. They can buy your truffles as well. Talk about how they um, how they would buy them through the mail. Uh, what the process is like, and give us your website. AustralianTruffleTraders.com is our website. And on there, you know, for people that are in Australia, we can do direct sales. They can jump online and order the truffles. For people in North America, they would need to drop me an email and I can put them in touch with one of our distributors throughout North America. In the months of June, July, August, we ship weekly 
into North America, generally through San Francisco, and then it lands in San Francisco and we then use uh, FedEx to, to get it out to the different areas. The time frame, people will be quite surprised and before one or two world events that happened that caused some security, air security issues, um, we used to import truffles. So I could go out at nine o'clock in the morning here in Western Australia on, on the third of the month and I could dig up some truffle, wash it, grade it, pack it, put it on the truck to Perth Airport because we're actually three and a half hours south of Perth. Uh, which is the most remote capital city in the world. So, you know, we're, we're out here, you know, we're, we're pretty out there. And then uh, I used to be able to get that on the truck at lunchtime up to Perth Airport. It would catch the red-eye flight. So, you know, late evening, sort of around midnight, it would catch a flight to Hong Kong, get on the next flight, and I could land truffle straight into Chicago Truffle that I harvested at 9 a.m. on the 3rd of the month, I could land in Chicago at 10 a.m. on the 3rd of the month. <laughs> with, with the international deadline, it was taking. Yeah, because of the time difference. Yeah. So, but it goes to show, you know, in 24, 25 hours, we can get truffles into North America. To be fair, that was a brag that I used to, be able to say these days with some of the enhanced air security rules. We can't quite do it the same. But even so, I can get truffles out of Western Australia and into North America in about 36 hours. So it happens very, very quickly. So within two days of being harvested, they've been handed out in restaurants across North America. And, that, and that's, uh, that's quite amazing to be able to do that. So we do it very, very fresh. And we have generally a minimum of you know one or two shipments per week going into North America. And, uh, and North Americans love the product that we have. Uh, it's amazing how well, you know, 10 years ago, nobody had ever heard of a truffle from the Southern Hemisphere, whereas now uh, little old Manjimapa, I go to Daniel Balud's restaurant in, in New York and the maitre d' will, uh, you know, pronounce Manjimapa. Uh, to me. And uh, it's quite humbling, really. It's quite amazing. 36 hours is incredible from the complete other side of the world, literally. I mean, I'm talking to you from the Northern Hemisphere. It's 12 hours difference. So this is the exact opposite side of the world. And you're getting it to the United States in 36 hours. And freshness with truffles is paramount because they start to lose their flavor very and aroma very very quickly so it's fantastic that you can uh, that you can get it that quickly we will put a link to your website in our show notes as well now gavin when you said you're in remote part of southwestern australia most i think american tourists when they think of australia they think of sydney maybe melbourne but southwest australia doesn't come to the top of their head when they think of australia so if people were to come down to Southwest Australia, what are the kinds of things that they would see and do down there? Obviously, we can't do it today, but sometime in the future, we're coming there. For sure. Um, one of the fun things on the calendar, we have a, a festival here, an annual festival called the Truffle Kerfuffle. <laughs> and uh, I have the dubious pleasure of being the founding chairperson of that event. Nice. So we started that 10 years. This year was supposed to have been the 10th anniversary. It was. Uh, it has been held over till next year because of the coronavirus. But 
so we have the truffle kerfuffle here. The Margaret River wine region is uh, some of the most beautiful wines. Uh, so that's just to the to the west of me. Uh, Western Australia is very, very famous for its wildflowers as well. So there's people that come from all over the world to come here to find some of the rarest orchids. Um, there are people that come here. We have hundreds of acres, you know, like literally hundreds and hundreds of acres of everlasting flowers that come up in the springtime. And um, and so it's a, re a real diversity one of the most complex reef systems. I mean, everybody's heard of the Barrier Reef, but in Western Australia, we have Ningaloo Reef. A lot of a lot of people wouldn't realise, but Western Australia actually makes up a third of the landmass of Australia. So, in terms of size, for one state, in terms of size, um, I, I met a French film crew that came over to do a documentary on Kalgoorlie Police Station because this one police station has 20 policemen that patrol the entire country of France in the area. That's their patrol area. Whoa. For, for the French TV, this was just amazing. You know, it was sort of unbelievable that they would have a one police beat that covered that area. Um, so they came over and did a doco on it. And I was talking to these guys and I was going, what? <laughs> so, so it's, you know, it, it, it's quite fun. It's a very, very, very diverse place. In the north, we've got the, the Bungle Bungles uh, and the sort of that Kimberley, you know, if you remember the, the movie Australia, you know, that was where that was filmed. And then you come down through the sort of desert and down into the southern forests where we are down here. It's just such a diverse place. And and to put that into perspective, if Perth was San Francisco, Sydney would be Washington, D.C. You know, that's the sort of distance that we're talking about. So uh, it's very comparable. And, uh, and just the remoteness of it all. We have the world's longest, straightest bit of road, you know. Um, it's a very, very diverse place. And, and you know, to come over and have a look at it, our friends from, you know, in the United States come over here and, and uh, uh, I, think, I think they're very pleasantly surprised. Well, we, we can't get there right now, but it sounds like an absolutely gorgeous place, and I'm looking forward to making it on my list to uh, Western Australia and seeing you guys at Australian Truffle Hunters. But until then, folks can uh, look you up online and get a taste of uh, Southwest Australian truffles at your website. Gavin Booth, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's just been a delight talking to you, and I guess it's morning here. It's night where I'm talking to you. I guess I need to go uh, have an omelet with some shaved truffles on top. You do, Brett. And, um, mate, when you come out here, give us a shout. We'd love to take you out with the dogs and you can come on the truffle hunt. I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing now than tromping around outside looking for truffles with Gavin and his dogs. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Next week, we will be in Venice, Italy talking about little plates called cicchetti, Prosecco cocktails, and little cakes for Carnival. 
Until then, head on over to DestinationEatDrink.com to relieve your travel jones. I'm always adding new stuff to the blog page. Plus, there's over 40 foodie travel guides to cities around the world. I've even gone through and updated each city guide with an interactive Google map of my favorite things to do, places to eat and drink, and places to stay. So head on over to DestinationEatDrink.com. The podcast is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and their deep state chief, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.